please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This morning I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8, and we'll focus our attention on verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Well, this morning we continue our study of the spiritually sound church from Titus chapter 2. As we have seen the last few weeks, one of the main themes from the book of Titus is the effect of the truth upon life, how doctrine affects one's life, how doctrine affects the life of the church. For a church to be spiritually sound, there must be sound doctrine and sound living based on that truth. Doctrine and life, doctrine and practice, inextricably bound together. Because truth is meant to not only be believed, but to be what? Lived. Truth is not only meant to be confessed, but to be what? Applied. Sound doctrine is not simply to be contained in creeds, but fully functioning in the church and in lives. Truth is transformative. The gospel is transformative. And for a church to be spiritually sound, the transformative work of the gospel must be evident in the lives of those who shepherd the souls of the congregation, its pastors. And therefore, chapter 2, verse 1 begins with Titus himself. As one who is a spiritual leader in the church, an apostolic representative, so to speak, a shepherd of souls. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The Apostle Paul is saying, Titus, your life is to be different from those I just mentioned. We find those in chapter 1, verse 16. Those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. No, Titus, your life is to be consistent with the sound doctrine you say you believe and the truth you preach. And from a life that is consistent with sound doctrine, not a life of hypocrisy, but integrity, you, Titus, are to speak. You're to speak to the congregation the things that are fitting for and consistent with sound doctrine. Titus, you are to speak, you are to preach and teach and exhort the congregation to also live in light of the truth. You are to connect the dots from sound doctrine to sound and godly living. And so we've seen a spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live sound doctrine and exhort the church to do the same. But there must be more than this. There must be a congregation who lives the truth whose lives have been transformed by the truth. And therefore, the Apostle Paul addresses older men in verse 2, older women in verse 3, the younger women in verses 4 and 5, and younger men in verses 6 through 8, among which category Titus found himself. Now, last week I noted the categories, so to speak, that the Apostle addresses here. First, he addresses adult men and women, not children. Secondly, he addresses them in categories of gender, male and female, men and women, both created by God, equal in value and dignity, yet with differing roles. And then we saw he addresses them in categories of age, older and younger. 
Both older and younger believers are needful in the church for it to be spiritually sound. And so while the apostle makes these distinctions, we see what they all have in common. They all have, according to verses 11 to 14 that we didn't read this morning, a common problem, that is sin. But a common gospel, a common grace by which they were saved, a common Savior, the Lord Jesus, a common faith in the Lord Jesus, a common hope of His appearing, a common sanctification, a common standard of holiness, and a common zeal for, the good de- for good deeds to the glory of God. And so together, the older and the younger, male and female, we together strive for a spiritually sound church which will bring glory to the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, that we might be a witness to the world until He comes. And so may we all, young and old, Male and female, with one voice and one heart, glorify God together. May we grow together in unity of purpose and pursuit, the glory of God in the pursuit of holiness. We have a common salvation. And therefore, a spiritually sound and healthy church has men, older and younger, who live out sound doctrine. And a spiritually sound church has women, older and younger, who live out sound doctrine. Now last time we considered the necessity and importance of older men for a church to be spiritually sound. This would have been, as we saw last week, men around the age of 50 and older. And he says in verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. The older men are to lead the way. There are to be examples of godly living. We saw that old age is not to be squandered. We're not to squander our time, but old age is meant to continue to pursue holiness. And older men are to be characterized by moderation, temperance, and self-control. They're to be clear-headed, sensible, and of sound judgment. Older men are to be sober in spirit, sober-minded, of sound mind, alert, mentally sharp in spiritual things, watchful, or to be sober men. We saw this in two related words, temperate and sensible. And as such, their lives are dignified, that is, honorable, of good character, worthy of respect. They're to be a picture of health, spiritual health, that although their bodies might be affected by age, Spiritually speaking, they're to be a picture of spiritual health in three areas. He says faith, love, and perseverance. Sound in faith, healthy, the word means also in love and in perseverance. Having walked with God and seen His faithfulness, they're sound in faith. Trusting Him as seasoned saints. They've cultivated holy affections. They're sound in love. They love God and they love others. And by the grace of God, they persevere. They're sound in perseverance, having been tested and tried. And as godly older men who are sound in perseverance, they can exhort and encourage the congregation in times of difficulty. How important it is to have men of old age in the congregation. How needful are older saints in the church. So that, older men, we might do what it says in Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So I exhorted you, older men, let us rise up and be what God has called us to be. That the church might be spiritually sound. Let us contribute to the spiritual health, strength, and soundness of the church by living the gospel in old age until our days which have been numbered by God, are complete until we breathe our last. But this call to those who are older is not just to men, but also to women. And so older women who live out sound doctrine, who live the gospel, whose lives have been shaped by the truth, are also necessary for the church to be spiritually sound. And therefore it says in Titus 2 verse 3, Older women, likewise, 
are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God would not be dishonored. Older women likewise. Referring back to the older men, older women too, likewise, are to live in light of the gospel in accordance with those things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And so a local church needs godly older women who fulfill their God-given role. Far from diminishing the importance of women in the church, Scripture magnifies the God-given role of and need for godly women for the church to be spiritually sound. Every part of the body of Christ is important. Every part of the body must be functioning biblically for the building up of the whole. Women are part of that body. While God has called men to be pastors and deacons, the God-ordained role of godly women in the church is vitally important and essential. Without godly women, the church will not grow to spiritual maturity. So what does a godly woman look like? Well, we see a description in verses 3 to 5. There we see her character, her ministry, and we might call it her curriculum for her ministry. Her character is found in the first part of verse 3, the character of the older woman. She's to be reverent in her behavior, not to be a malicious gossip, nor enslaved to much wine. Then we see her ministry. It is a ministry to younger women, which in turn will demonstrate even more what a godly woman looks like. This ministry is a ministry of teaching at the end of verse 3. Teaching what is good. And then verse 4, that they may encourage the young women. Her ministry is to young women. And what is her curriculum, the content of her teaching? What is she to encourage the young women, stir them up to be? Well, the curriculum is fourfold, and it covers the woman's primary relationships, her character, her labor, and her motive. Her primary relationships, she's to be a loving wife and mother. Verse 4, part of the curriculum, so to speak, in this teaching what is good is to teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Part of her curriculum is to teach them, young women, what their character is to be. Self-controlled, sober-minded, and holy. We see that in the words in verse 5, to be sensible, pure. But part of the curriculum is to encourage the young women in their labor, their work, their responsibilities, their duties. They're to be diligent and benevolent, caring and considerate homemakers and helpers. Verse 5, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And then the curriculum, so to speak, of what the older woman is to teach the young woman is her motive to honor God and His Word, verse 5, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Now today, we'll just consider the older woman's character from the first part of verse 3. And then I want to connect this to other passages of Scripture. I want to connect some dots, so to speak, that I might speak things that are fitting for sound doctrine. This is to be the older woman's character. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be, and it's threefold here, reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. First, there is to be reverent behavior. Reverent behavior. The older woman is to be characterized by reverence. The word here translated reverence is defined this way in one lexicon. That which is befitting or suitable to what is sacred. Behavior that is fitting for God-fearing persons. This word is only used here in the New Testament. Now it's found in extra-biblical sources to refer to the conduct of a priest before God. 
When a priest went before God, he was to do so in a very careful, sober-minded manner with reverence, not with flippancy. And the older woman's behavior should be consistent with that which is reverent before God, that which is acceptable before God. She lives her life in the presence of God, before the face of God, always in a reverent manner. And so there is a holy reverence about her life. She fears the Lord. The way she conducts herself is that which is befitting of, suitable to, and consistent with the gospel of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this extends not just to her relationship to God, but her relationship with others. She relates to others in a manner that is with reverence and respect. And therefore, the body of Christ esteems and respects her. She's held in high regard because of her reverent behavior before God and man. Now, this reverence in her behavior is seen in her speech as well. Part of her reverent behavior is the godly use of her tongue. Older women are to have tongues that are under control, and therefore it says they're not to be malicious gossips. The English Standard Version says not slanderers. The King James says, not false accusers. The, the Greek word that's used here is diabolos. It's a word that's used of the devil. He is the slanderer. He is the one who is the accuser. Notice from another passage of Scripture what accompanies this sin of the tongue being a malicious gossip. There are friends of Malicious gossip. 2 Timothy 3, verse 3, it says, Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. These are all things that really surround and go with being a malicious gossip. It's unloving. It's being irreconcilable. It's without self-control. It's being brutal and haters of good. And it causes strife. Gossip and slander are consistent with the devil who seeks to destroy people, not build them up. But here, a godly older woman who is spiritually sound and who lives according to the truth and who aids in the spiritual strength of the church is one who has her tongue under control, more specifically under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. She understands James 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So she seeks to bridle her tongue. In James 1, 26, the word bridle is used of, of a guide with a bit, a bridle in a horse's mouth. And it means to hold in check, to restrain, to control. She, she seeks for her tongue to be under the control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. She bridles her tongue so as not to harm those made in the image of God. She doesn't want to be described or like those described in James 3 verse 9. Those who use their tongues to bless our Lord and Father one moment, but then use their tongues to curse men who've been made in the image of God another moment. No, she desires a tongue united to bless God and bless those made in the image of God. And so the godly woman strives to have a tongue that honors Christ. Her aim is Colossians 3.17, where it says, whatever you do in word or deed. She's not only reverent in her behavior, but also in word to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And therefore, her prayer and desires, consistent with Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In Psalm 39, verse 1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. So she seeks to have a a restrained tongue. She's not a malicious gossip. And so the reverent godly woman restrains her lips. She understands the Proverbs. Proverbs 10 verse 19. 
when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. It means that her goal is not only that her words wouldn't be used to tear down, but her words would be used to build up. As it says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. She doesn't want to be a malicious gossip. She doesn't want the unwholesome words to be gossip or slander. Instead, she wants her tongue to be used in this way, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So the godly older woman is careful not to let rotten, unwholesome, sinful words roll from her tongue. She thinks before she speaks. She considers the situation, what it warrants, and speaks accordingly. As it says in Proverbs 25, verse 11, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Instead of destroying, her words give grace to those who hear. So the godly older woman is one whose behavior is reverent and whose tongue is too. She's not a malicious gossip. And that means she is controlled by Christ. She is his slave and not the slave of sin. And therefore, next it says, nor enslaved to much wine. While those of all ages can be enslaved to to alcohol, older people may have unique temptations that they need to guard from or guard against. John MacArthur said this, as many of them have done throughout history, older people on the island of Crete sometimes turn to drink as a stimulant and as a means of improving the pains, frustrations, and loneliness of old age. This would have been the temptation. But the godly older woman guards herself from this. She turns to Christ in times of trial, not to substances. And therefore, she is not a slave to wine. There are all kinds of sins that would enslave us. And so, we're really to be on guard against anything. And here, it doesn't mean just wine, but but the idea is here's a woman who... In times of trial, in times of maybe difficulty or loneliness, maybe some of these women were now widows in their older age. In that time of loneliness, they wouldn't go to deal with the difficulties of life in anything other than Christ. Women, be on guard. You may not be enslaved to wine, but the godly, reverent woman is not enslaved to anything. She's not enslaved to the television. She's not enslaved to romance novels. She's not enslaved to the internet and social media or anything else. She's striving by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit to not become a slave of anything. So the reverent, godly, older woman is self-controlled, which is among the fruit of the Spirit and wrought by grace. So this is her character. This is what an older woman whose life is consistent with the gospel looks like. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Her behavior, her words, everything about her, her life, is not enslaved to anything but Christ. That's what she's striving for. And again, as as age moves on, that doesn't decrease, it increases. Now, this reverent behavior is the opposite of the boisterous, flamboyant women of the world. What you read here is the exact opposite of what we see in the world today. I mean, just consider the rich and famous. Consider Hollywood. Consider how people are portrayed. And those that that many people look up to, they're boisterous. They're not reverent in their behavior. They use their tongues to destroy. Unholy tongues. Enslaved to all kinds of things. But that's not true of a godly Christian woman. A godly woman is concerned about her relationship to God. And therefore, she's not out to draw attention to herself, but to her Savior and to the gospel by a life that is reverent in the sight of God. Now, Titus 2 verse 1 says, But as for you, Titus, speak the things that are fitting 
for sound doctrine, consistent with sound doctrine. And so what I want to do the rest of our time is from related passages of Scripture regarding women and them being reverent in behavior, I want to connect some dots. I want to speak of some things that are consistent with a woman described here, her character. And I want to address what some other passages do, but this one doesn't specifically, but comparing Scripture with Scripture, we'd see another characteristic of this godly woman. And let me introduce that particular area by asking a question. Did you know that this kind of godly life, this reverend and behavior, in particular, as we think about a woman who's respectable, who lives in the fear of God, did you know that this encompasses her appearance as well? And how she dresses? And there are two other passages that address women that I want to turn our attention to to demonstrate how this inward holiness should then manifest itself outwardly. And so first, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now this again is somewhat connecting the dots. We're connecting the dots of Scripture. This is how the gospel is to be lived out and how Scripture then points out that there's to be a consistency between sound doctrine and sound living. And this reverence in behavior and how it's to be manifested in life. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Again, the, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy here, not Titus, but it's a pastoral epistle. This is instruction of how those within the church are to conduct themselves in a manner consistent with the gospel. Paul writes this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather, here's the reverent behavior, by means of good works as is proper, fitting. You hear the same words that Paul uses in Titus, things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Here, as is fitting or proper for women making a claim to godliness. So these verses speak to the external appearance of a woman and what is proper and not proper. There is clothing that is proper and there is clothing that is not proper. There is a way in which a woman can adorn herself which is not consistent with godliness. And there's a way in which a woman can adorn herself that is consistent with godliness. So there are certain things here, again, that go together and certain things that don't go together. There are some ways of adorning yourself that don't go with godliness. There are some ways of adorning yourself that do go with and are consistent with godliness. And so just as there is behavior that is proper for the woman who claims to be godly, there's actually clothing and external appearance that is not proper and that which is proper for a Christian woman. So there are a number of ways to describe verses 9 and 10, which would summarize certain aspects of what's being taught. We could say it this way, wardrobes consistent with the world and wardrobes consistent with godliness. Or... You could summarize it in this way, the modesty of godliness, or clothing consistent with godliness. Or you could just say, this is true beauty. Or to tie it into Titus 2 and the words there, clothing that is fitting for sound doctrine in the gospel. Now, we know that you can't always judge a book by its cover, but that's not absolutely true. Sometimes you can judge a book by its cover. I've seen some books and the cover tells me exactly what's on the inside. <laughs> and so we understand that there are times in which we say, okay, we're concerned with the heart and God is concerned with the heart. But scripture teaches that when the heart is godly, it will manifest itself externally in various ways. And so we see that this is not something out of bounds that we just can't address, for Scripture addresses it. So all the headings that I just gave would, would hit on some aspect of these verses. The Bible addresses appearance, clothing, outward adornment, and how it is related to godliness for the Christian woman in particular. 
So this is a part of her reverent behavior. And this passage, again, teaches what a woman, what's proper and what's improper. So there's a connection in these two verses, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. From the external to the internal. A Christian woman is not to dress immodestly or in an ostentatious, or ostentatious showy manner. But her appearance should be connected to what's true of her heart as a godly woman. Her concern with her outward appearance is this, that she would make sure that it's modest, discreet, and consistent with her claim to godliness. So verse 9 speaks of external things, proper clothing, modesty, and discreet, being discreet. But then verse 10, with that which is inward, that which is proper for a woman making a claim of godliness, which we know is internal and should show itself externally as well. So there's a simple principle that we need to understand. It's not just a principle found in these verses, but in other places as well. Here's the principle. You've heard me say it before. It's not new to me, from me. Clothing communicates. Clothing communicates. Now we know this in day-to-day life in a number of ways. If you, you go to a hospital and you see someone walking in the hall and they have on a long white Uh, what do you call it, smock. They're dressed a particular way and they have the stethoscope around their neck, but their clothing gives them away. And so you might say, that's a doctor. They're in the medical field. It communicates something. Well, it does in the Christian life as well. Whether it's intentional or not, on the part of the person, clothing communicates. And therefore, the Christian woman and we could say the Christian man too, but the Christian woman is to be careful to make sure that her clothing communicates what is consistent with godliness. So the Bible addresses this. So look at the description of proper clothing in verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Now, the first word to note is adorn. Cosmeo, the infinitive cosmain, comes from the word cosmos. A lot of words are related to this, has a lot of nuances. Cosmos has to do with the world. We talk about the cosmos, the world, and it's something that's arranged in an orderly manner. God created, and the cosmos is orderly. So that is then borrowed in the world when we talk about cosmetics. It's makeup or Things that are arranged in a particular way that's arranged, supposed to be, to, to show beauty. doesn't always do so uh, by some, but it, it's supposed to. But it's arranged in a particular way. It's not just thrown on, <laughs> but it's arranged. And so here the idea of being adorned is the idea of there's an arrangement to things. There's a purpose, purposefulness in things. And I want a woman to be adorned, arranged, her external stuff with... With proper clothing, proper means what's fitting, what's appropriate. And the word can also mean what's respectable or even modest and sensible. Tying it back to Titus 2, sensible. Remember, it's used three places of older men, of women, and then of younger men as well. And then we have the word clothing. Again, that which is arranged in a particular order, that which... We use to cover ourselves. He says, I want women to adorn, arrange themselves with proper clothing. That which is fitting for a godly woman. And then he describes it this way, modestly and discreetly. Modestly means with reverence and respect. Ties it back. That's what the word means. It ties it back to what we're talking about in Titus chapter 2. She's reverent in her behavior. But the word here that she used has sexual overtones. A woman's clothing is not to be consistent with immorality. Instead, it's to be modest, reverent, and respectful. And he uses another word, discreetly. This word means the ability to restrain passions and impulses, therefore self-controlled and sensible. You can see the, the synonyms and how they... Go from Titus 2 to here, and we'll see it in other passages as well. 
It's actually the word that's translated sensible in Titus 2, but here in relationship to clothing, it's sensible, it's discreet. And so it's translated in the ESV, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. Or the New King James, with propriety and moderation. So to understand this issue of modesty, we really need to understand two aspects of it. There's inward modesty, which is an issue of the heart, and then there's outward modesty, the external expression of the heart. And in this sense, there's a relationship. There's a relationship between what you wear and what your heart is like. And you see this connection in other passages. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, where the Apostle Peter says something very similar. Your adornment, speaking to women, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. So here you see that what's true internally as she is growing in godliness and characterized by this gentle and quiet spirit, precious in God's sight, then it should manifest itself externally in some way. And it shouldn't be inconsistent with what's true of the heart. So there should be an inward modesty, self-control, that then expresses itself in the way one dresses. For the way one dresses tells something about the person. Isn't that true in Proverbs 7, verses 10 and 11? Behold, a woman comes to meet him. How is she dressed? Dressed as a harlot. And why is she dressed that way? She's cunning of heart. See the connection? Her heart is now showing her behavior and even in how she dresses, it's manifesting itself. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. And so outward modesty should stem from inward modesty. That is from a reverent heart, a modest, disciplined, sensible, self-controlled heart that is seeking to honor God. And so when you see a person who's dressed immodestly, it tells you something about the person's heart. Now some people today say, oh, you can't tell anything about people. Again, you have to ignore the Bible. They're externally, it tells you something. Best case scenario, there's spiritual immaturity and a lack of understanding of the Word of God. That more understanding of the Word and more time of walking with Christ hopefully will change those things. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, here's a rebellious, licentious, out of control, promiscuous, immoral person when you see them dressed that way. What you wear tells something about your heart. Just like what you say tells something about your heart. The tongue speaks volumes about what's in the heart. For out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, out of the abundance of the heart, people dress. Clothing communicates something about the heart. Now, when it comes to this outward modesty, it's twofold. Immodesty could be two, two sides. There could be that which is flamboyant and that which is indecent. Flamboyant meaning too gaudy, too flashy, too ostentatious. That could be immodest. And then on the other hand, there can be indecency, too little, too revealing. And so these are two areas where the principles of biblical modesty externally are violated. Flamboyance on the one hand, indecency on the other. Being showy, gaudy, flashy, extravagant, excessiveness, and then being indecent, lewd, seductive, sensual, fleshly, revealing. One falls under the category of the boastful pride of life and the other under the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Both are self-centered, both are sin, both are immodest. And so, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, Paul is addressing here flamboyance. He says you're to have proper clothing, modest, dress modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair 
and gold or pearls and costly garments. Now you might read that and say braided hair. How many ladies have braided hair? I'm seeing some braided hair. Like, maybe. How about gold? Anybody have gold on? I don't have gold on. I think it's titanium. I'm not sure. Um, pearls? Costly garments? So you might read that and say, okay, well, does this mean we, we can't have braided hair, no gold, no pearls? When he says not with braided hair, braiding the hair was a highly cultivated art for women in that time. And it was very elaborate. And it, it required the services of a professional. That might sound familiar, but, but we mean in Romans time, women were consumed with this. They spent much time. He's talking about they spent time, money on outward appearance, overly just attention to the external. And therefore, that they might be showy and ostentatious. And when he speaks of gold or pearls or costly garments, it means that their, their hair was braided with these things, often placing very valuable objects in their hair. And again, what it was manifesting is they wanted to show off. They wanted attention. It's, it's not the gold and the pearls. It's the motive of the heart that in this case, they're doing it to say, look at me. And it was a, look at my status economically. I can afford these golds and and Pearl, you, you've seen this. The women, they're just flaunting those things. They, they may be completely covered, but it's immodest in this sense. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses. Again, in that time, they would have gold all over the body. The neck, the arms, the wrists, the fingers, the ears, the ankles, the result, it would draw attention to themselves. And by putting on dresses or costly garments in 1 Timothy 2.9, it was it's putting on this variety. I, I can't fit it all. And I've worn this once. Throw it out. I've got to have something new. And Again, it would say, look at me. I've got money. I can flaunt these things. It's the idea of someone who just wants to have the best of everything they want to be in fashion. They want to show their social status. They want to draw attention to themselves. This is flamboyance. And no, the, the godly woman says, no, I, I'm not about drawing attention to myself. I want to adorn the gospel. I don't want to bring attention to myself. So there's flamboyance, this immodest, but then there's indecency on the other hand. There's a way you can dress that's more in keeping with a harlot than with godliness. And again, that's why in Proverbs 7, verse 10, it speaks of a woman who's dressed in a particular way that identifies something about her sinful, sensual lifestyle. And so the way a woman dresses should be consistent with her call. Her call. What is her call? It's a call to be godly. Now, again, the application is to all of us. Our calling is to be godly. So we have to understand what the, the origin of clothing is. We need a, a doctrine of clothing. This is where you say, wow, this, the Bible really speaks of this? Yes, it does. What's the origin of clothing? Well, in Genesis, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed before sin. Sin enters the picture. They're ashamed. They sow fig leaves to cover themselves. The need for clothing was because of the need for covering because of sin. Their eyes were open. Nakedness should create shame. But today, nakedness is flaunted. Again, indecency is not shameful. But for the Christian, we're to think differently. The purpose of clothing, one of the purposes is, is for concealing, not sexual attraction, not for revealing, but to conceal. The world says beauty is external and physical, but the Word of God says beauty is internal and of the heart. The world says the purpose of clothing is to reveal and encourage sexual attraction. The Word says that clothing is to cover and conceal. The world says flaunt it. The Word says exemplify humility and modesty. The world says dress for people to notice you. And the Word says we ought to dress in a way to please God and reflect His glory. So the presence of sin has necessitated clothing. 
So there's a need for modesty because of the fall, the fall of man. But there's a need for modesty because of the call as well, a call to godliness. And that's what verse 10 is speaking of. She's a godly woman, and she wants her clothing to be consistent with her calling. For God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7. We're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ, Ephesians 4, verse 1. And that means even our clothing. So the Christian woman should desire her clothing to communicate her reverent behavior before God. And to communicate self-control and moral chastity. Her focus should be that her adornment be part of her good works. She wants it to be pleasing to the Lord. So ladies, is that what you think about when you dress? Now again, that's not to say that there's not certain clothing appropriate for certain settings. Again, we're not drawing the line and saying some, some would say, well, aren't you dressed a little flamboyant, Pastor Greg? You've got a tie on and you're, you're dressed. No, not for the occasion. That's not the case. In fact, if I came in with flip-flops and shorts and those kinds of things, so that's not appropriate for the occasion. So there are some occasions that, that dressing up obviously is appropriate, and there are some occasions for dressing down, so to speak, a little bit is appropriate. And we need to know the appropriate. We're not talking about that. We're talking about whatever the occasion, that I'm not so flamboyant that I'm drawing attention to myself. That, by the way, this doesn't just apply to clothing, but this is why we need to think about modesty in all areas. We talk about tattoos, styles. Again, recently I, I saw on YouTube, I don't even remember his name, but it was someone professing to be a Christian. And what stood out to me was he had literal tattoos all over everything that could be seen. And then it was a, it was a pastor of a church interviewing this person who, I guess he professed to be a Christian, but he's somewhere in the music world. I don't even remember the name. That, to be honest with you, it so stuck out to me. I, I couldn't even think about it because... Who it was, I wasn't even concerned about it because, like, wow, look at this. So at the end of the interview, it was like, well, what's your favorite tattoo? And he said, I have a favorite arm. And he showed his whole arm of all the tattoos and everything there. It was covered. Again, why do you see the increase of that in our culture? I say it's because there's more of the boastful pride of life than ever in our culture. It's people wanting to draw attention to themselves. Now, again, is that to say if you have a tattoo? That it's immodest? No, I didn't say that. That's going to bring up some controversy. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, is that clothing communicates, our appearance communicates. We need to make sure that it's consistent with a life of godliness. And if we just ask that question, now we're on the right path of connecting the dots. Instead of saying, oh, well, I'm a... Christian, but it doesn't have anything to do with this area of my life. Being a believer in sound doctrine and truth and gospel has something to do with every part of our lives. And so the godly woman, older woman, is reverent in her behavior. And then tying that to 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, tying it to 1 Peter 3, you see that this even extends to how one dresses. And so, ladies, are you asking those kinds of questions? Does this honor God? Do you look at your wardrobe and think, oh, I need more? Do you think, oh, does does what I have honor the Lord? And when you're shopping for it, are you doing it so that people would look at you and draw attention to you in some way that's not godly? Or that, in a sense, you might adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an opportunity we have to do that. As the world gets farther and farther away from even that which is true in creation and that purpose of clothing in the fall and all those things, what an opportunity that that our dress, our external appearance might in some ways show that we are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we've been saved by grace. And so this is a godly older woman 
This is her character. These are the things she's concerned about. Indeed, more and more consumed with as she grows. So that then, as we see next week, from that will flow a ministry. A vital and important ministry in the church for the spiritual health of the church. Teaching what is good and encouraging the young women now to live that kind of life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Father, I pray for the ladies in our church. I pray for the women in our church that they might, Lord, pursue godliness and holiness, be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, live lives of self-control, lives that are sensible, lives that are lived in the fear of you. And Father, I pray that, Lord, even as we have experienced in our own body, as, as there are godly women who follow you, that it would strengthen the body of Christ here at Grace Fellowship Church. Lord, that it would increase and stir up among us, soundness, spiritual soundness. Father, I pray that, that the young ladies in our church, as they see the, the, the older ladies in our church living in a manner consistent with the gospel, that it would, it would preach the gospel to them, that it would instruct them and teach them. Lord, even before some of those young people are saved, that it would be an example to them of what godliness is, that indeed what's in the heart expresses itself in behavior and external appearance even. So that, Lord, by your grace, when and if you save those young people, they would, Lord, know your truth and see it exemplified by the older ladies in our church. Father, we, we pray that, Lord, there would be an increase of godliness among us and a submission to your lordship, a submission to your word, not finding these things, Lord, overbearing, for your commandments are not overbearing or difficult. They are light for those who love you. For that is our heart, Lord. We want to honor and glorify you in all things, so that by word or deed, Lord, in our hearts, with our tongues, and with our behavior in our lives, and all that is seen by the world, that it would bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.